Welcome to the Center for a New American Securities NATSEC Women podcast series. Last year, we started a project on getting new audiences to think and talk about issues of gender, inclusivity, and national security. Schedule an event with gender in the title, and you can guarantee it is 95% women talking to other women in the audience about women's issues. So we tried other ways. Some audiences were receptive. Some weren't. Some were frustrated we were making a big deal out of a topic they thought was closed. Asked and answered, move on. But among the women we know, it didn't feel nearly as clear-cut. So we're bringing you right to the source. One-on-one, candid conversations with women in national security about their careers, their experience, their advice, and their lessons. Here's their stories. This is Julie Smith here at the Center for New American Security, and I'm joined by Christine Wormuth, who recently left the administration as the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. She's now at the Center for Strategic International Studies, and really grateful to see an old friend over here at CNAS. Welcome, Christine. It's great to be here, Julie. Thanks. Uh, So as part of this podcast series uh, of women in national security, we want to dig in and ask you a bunch of questions about gender and inclusivity and your own experience of being a woman at the highest levels of the U.S. government in the area of defense and national security. But before we do, uh, just to reflect, having left now the administration a little while ago, um, curious, as you look back at your tenure in the Defense Department, uh, what was your kind of proudest moment? What do you look back and, and really cherish as your tenure as USDP? Yeah, it's hard to choose because it it was an amazing job uh, working with a group of tremendous people and leading a tremendous organization. But I think one of the things I was most proud of was uh, representing the Defense Department in the decision-making process to decide essentially whether we were going to continue to reduce the number of U.S. troops in Afghanistan down to about 1,000 or whether, given the fact that the Taliban was continuing to be a pretty significant challenge for the Afghan government, whether President Obama was willing to make a decision to leave a larger number of troops. And that was a hugely significant question. We had hours and hours of meetings. And I'll remember one in particular, I civetsed in from Jordan from a trailer that was probably 110 degrees with no air conditioning. And it was like, you know, at the end of an incredibly long day, and it was just ridiculous. But ultimately, we were successful in convincing President Obama to keep a larger number of troops, which I think was what the situation called for. And my whole team just did a great job, I think, and was central, frankly, to making the case successfully to President Obama. So I really reflect back on that very proudly. It was great teamwork. Terrific. All right. Well, thanks for that. Civets Secure Video Teleconference. Uh, for those of you that are not following every single acronym uh, of the U.S. Defense Department. Um, and now we want to jump into questions tied to inclusivity, um, kind of the subject of this podcast series. So women, uh, I've found uh, throughout my career, and I'm sure you have, that we're often asked, how do you deal with being a woman in national security? And I'm curious, as you get that question uh, from your peers or when you're traveling outside of Washington or abroad or even meeting with younger women in the field of national security, how do you answer that question? Yeah, the serious answer I give is 
I think first and foremost, as a woman in national security, you have to let expertise do the talking. If you are prepared, if you know your stuff, that's going to show and it can show pretty quickly. And in my experience, I found that while, you know, I, I have often seen skepticism in the eyes of a counterpart across the table in the first 30 seconds or a minute. But over time, you know, once you start talking and show that you know what you're talking about, uh, often that skepticism can be overcome. Uh, on a lighter note, I often sort of talk about the, the generational rule, which is basically for men over 65, I kind of give them a pass because I figure, frankly, you know, they've come up in a different environment and they're never going to get it and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, 50 to 65 is a is a gray zone, and anyone under 50, you know, you're going to get slapped. Right, right, yeah. Um, so, but but in all, you know, in all truth, I found, frankly, youth, in my view, was more of an obstacle in my career than gender for a lot of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes it goes well, together. Well, youth isn't an issue anymore. Right, right. <laughs> sadly. <laughs> all right. Now, um... There's also a question uh, that I've come across over the years, and I'm sure you have as well. Many of us have. Um, The question about how having more women in the field of national security actually has an impact on the shaping of actual policy and how the U.S. conducts foreign policy and national security. And so what do you say to someone that walks up to you and says or asks what would the world look like or what would U.S. foreign policy look like if we had a maximum number of women controlling and shaping U.S. foreign policy? How radical would the shift be in policy terms if we had, say, only women at the table? Would it make that much of a difference in your eyes? You know, I usually push back on this question because I tend to think it comes from a place of people who are making the assumption that women tend to be more pacifist, less um, less willing to use force, less willing to go to war. And so a lot of times I, this question to me feels like sort of a, um, you know, sort of a veiled effort to kind of say, wouldn't we have a better, saner, less violent foreign policy if women were in charge? And I don't think that that's true. You know, in my experience, um, women are not more reluctant to use force than anyone else. You know, you can look at sort of Madeleine Albright and, you know, all the stories there were about her. You know, Hillary Clinton was widely seen as being hawkish. So I don't think that if you had, you know, a preponderance of women in the national security community, you would see sort of less willingness to use force. You know, that said, I do think um, having a larger number of women in the national security field would inherently bring more diversity of perspective to the field. And I think there's lots of research that's shown that diversity, whether it's racial, whether it's gender, whether it's socioeconomic, you know, whether it's just kind of professional experience, um, groups who are deliberating and wrestling with challenging questions tend to benefit from having more points of view rather than fewer. And so in that regard, I do think that our foreign policy process and potentially the outcomes could be strengthened by having more women in the community because we do bring different experiences than our male colleagues. But I don't think it would translate to us being sort of, you know, peace, love and happiness all the time. (laughs) Okay. Um, Now, you've done 
many, many great things in the field of national security and defense over the years, um, not fresh out of school anymore. But as you look back on your career, are there things that you would, like if you were offering your 20-year-old self advice on being a woman in the area of defense and national security, are there is there advice you'd give your 20-year-old self uh, looking back at some of the experiences you have, anything that you thought maybe you got wrong along the way, or just a misperception? that you had about excelling and uh, growing in this field and developing all sets of new expertise and having new sets of experiences. How do you look back on that over a few years, I'll say? <laughs> the number one thing I would say to my 25-year-old self, and I would say it to my 35-year-old self and probably my 40-year-old self, is care a whole lot less about what other people think and whether everybody likes you. Um, you know, I think at the risk of making an overgeneralization, I think women in our society are raised to be nurturers, to get along, to bring people together. And there's a lot of goodness to that. But I also think that the downside of that is we, I think as a group are more concerned about rocking the boat. We want people to like us. We want people to get along. And I think uh, when I look back on my own personal experience, you know, eventually I came to this realization and eventually over time, you know, as I, as I progressed in my career, as I got more actual experience under my belt, as I got, you know, just years of my life under my belt, gradually over time, I came to that realization myself, but it took me too long. And if I could go back and talk to my younger self, I would say, you know what? It doesn't matter if everybody likes you, you know, your, your true colleagues, your family, your friends, they're going to be there for you and they're what matters. And if you believe in something, if you have a perspective, say what it is, stand behind it and be okay with the fact that not everyone's going to agree. Um, I wish I had done that sooner. And I think I see a lot of younger women around me in the community who I can see uh, laboring under that same concern. And I think uh, liberating themselves would be healthy. And maybe one last question. What was it like um, the first time that you had to go and sit down representing your building in the Situation Room? It's an intimidating place to enter as a woman in national security, as a man in national security, frankly. I know for me, um, I, I was guilty of this feeling that I needed to think through and ensure that I had the perfect response before I weighed in. And uh, it took me a little while to do the ever famous lean in, as Sheryl Sandberg uh, likes to call it, and find my groove. I eventually did. Did you did you have a similar experience? What was that the first, say, couple of times that you were there, particularly as USDP representing the entire Pentagon, the Office of the Secretary of Defense, at least uh, you had your joint staff counterpart there. But what did that what did that feel? feel like to you? It was a challenge. I, I do think I benefited from the fact that because I had been senior director for defense policy at the NSC previously, you know, I had lots of hours in the room as a backbencher watching my predecessors, whether that was Michelle Flournoy or Jim Miller, represent the department. And I had a pretty good understanding of kind of what the dynamic was. And I, and I, the thing that was really beneficial was that I understood that actually those people sitting at those tables were real people, warts and all, many of them were friends, some of them weren't. And so to some extent, the kind of the, the aura of sort of amazingness uh, was a little bit already lifted for me. 
But that said, I do remember when I was at the table the first couple of times, it was a challenge because um, you want to make a good impression right. and it, yeah. it, it's such a consequential responsibility. Um, but I think it helped me that the first time I walked in was, was not the first time I'd been in the room and seen how it worked. That's right. Well, Christine, thanks for taking some time to do this today. And thanks for all you've done in the name of national security and defense. Thanks for your service at DOD and hope to uh, see you back there in government sometime soon in the future. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for doing such a great report. 